seals, these seven seals that are being broken. And the Lord Jesus has taken the scroll from the God the Father, has taken them from his hands. And uh, now as we get to chapter 6, now he begins to open these seals. And we looked at last week the white horse, the first the first there was, was the, 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 the first rider that comes out. It's the white horse with the seal. And we looked at that with, with, I was sharing that, you know, some people, most people look at that as the Antichrist. And I read a long, extensive passage from, uh, or writing from John Phillips. It had a very interesting take on that, where when you look at each of these writers, the only one that we place as a specific person is the first writer. And we, we put that as Antichrist. Phillips makes it more as a, he, he says, as you look at this, each one of these writers are personifications, maybe not necessarily a person. And so he says that each of these writers, it's a personification. So with this first writer, we know that there's peace, that there's peace that comes with this first writer. That's the, when that first seal is broken, the white horse comes out and there's, and there's this peace that comes with that. And, and we, we'll expand on that as we go, but there's the, the peace. Now, whether that's Antichrist is the one riding on that horse, or if it's the spirit of Antichrist, or if it's the, 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 Antichrist culture that's there, the, the, the system, the Babylonian system that is set up, whatever that is, uh, I don't know. I think he makes some very insightful uh, observations to that, though. And uh, so that's the first writer. Then we got to the second writer. And uh, with the second writer, we see the second writer with, with that was the, um, there was another horse, the fiery red horse. And this, this rider uh, and another horse, fire red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. So we've had the peace. The first rider, the white horse, brings peace. We, we realize that that rider had a bow, but we don't see arrows. That's why we, we, we gather from that that it's peaceful. Maybe there's the appearance of power. Maybe there's strength in that, but there's, there's no arrows. There's no battle, so the peace comes the peace comes peacefully. The peace doesn't come by war. The second horse, this fiery red horse now, was given a great sword. And so this is going to be, this is when peace is taken away. There is war coming. There is killing coming. And there's a break in that. And that's, so that's where we got to last week. Now we come to the third, the third seal, verse 5. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see. So I looked and beheld, or behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a, had a pair of scales in his hand. And I, heard a ver, and I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. So in, in this part right here, this black horse represents famine. So we're going to see, we see peace, and then we see war comes. And, and then now with this third seal breaking, the black horse, the black represents famine. So famine means that it takes what we're looking at here when you talk about the scales and the, the wheat for denarius and stuff. We're talking about what it, that famine means that it takes an entire day's wage just to buy a quart of wheat. When, so when you look at that, and we'll expand on that, but famine means that the balances to measure out food are scarce, now we don't we don't have to balance out way out food today. I I can remember going in the stores. Y'all remember going in the little country stores or whatever, and they would have the little scale there. 
There would be the, the little scale, and they'd, they'd put more for candy, I think. They would put candy in there or beans or something, and, and then they would just dump it into the bag. Haven't seen one of those in forever. I went and bought some grass seed the other day, and that's how they measured it out. They measured out five pounds of grass seed. Felt like about half an ounce. Like, is five pounds of grass seed lighter than five pounds of something else? It was interesting. But they used those scales, and I thought about this with those scales. So the scales is, is this idea of, of a scarcity of food and how they're going to have to weigh this out in this time. Now, we don't worry about weighing out food in America because, uh, you know, our garbage cans in America contain more food than, than is enough to feed multitudes of starving people. I mean, you think about what we may have thrown out tonight. I know Dave and Susan do a great job. Susan does a great job. Dave doesn't do anything. Susan does a great job. <laughs> Susan does a great job of making sure that the food's not wasted. And, and, and so, like, I didn't eat tonight, so I, I asked her if there's enough left. If you'll fix me a plate, I'll, I'm going to eat tonight after, after the service. And, uh, but we don't want to waste food. We want to be good stewards of that. But you think about how much, how much food do we throw out in a week. You have a meal, and well, we don't want to have leftovers. And there's people in the world, I mean, we grew up hearing it. They're starving Kids in China, there's pygmies in that, whatever. You know, everybody's hungry. They're starving. And they are. But now, I'm, I can't ship my food over there, but we really do. We waste a lot of food. We're not in a situation today where we're having to weigh out food and wonder what we're going to eat tomorrow. Well, there's an abundance right now, and, and really an abundance in America. But um, it's not hard, if you think about it, when you think about famine, to think about uh, a worldwide famine. It's not hard to imagine that. We don't have to look back far in history and see those things. There, there have been those times of famine. There's been those times of really, really, even in America, really, really hard times. But even today, I looked up these numbers. To, right now, today, there's 25,000 people die of starvation every day. 25,000. Um, so in the event of a serious crop failure, no part of the world is more than one year away from critical starvation, and the rich U.S. Is, is only two years away. And so it makes me think about, you know, with the war in Ukraine, there's a lot of grain that comes out of Ukraine. There's a lot of farming in that country. So it's been in war. So there's probably not been grain coming out of there. They were talking about this from the very start, that it was going to put a... Um, uh, it was going to limit the amount of grain that comes out of there, which is going to affect bread and flowers and all those kind of things. We won't feel it as much immediately if that, if that is the case. Africa will be the place that will feel it first. Places like that, the third world countries, they'll feel it first. And then, and then a year from now, we'll feel it. But we're, we're a year, we're a, most of the world's a year away from famine with stuff like that. We're, we're two years away. Um, yes. Yeah. And um, so we've got our next co-op that we have to sign up for. Last time they didn't have any uh, white wheat, and they were supposed to get it all packed in from Montana and that area of the country. No white wheat. Really? Yeah. So we're already seeing it. Red wheat, but no white wheat. So it's already starting. It's already starting. Yep. And that's surprising that it's that quick, but... I mean, you look at what's going on uh, with the, the, the lack of farming, and it's scary to me when China's coming in and buying property in America, and we're allowing that to happen. Acres and acres and acres and acres and acres and acres, hundreds and thousands of acres of farmland. And you got other rich folks, that names like, I won't mention, like Bill Gates, that are, buying, are doing the same thing. 
that are doing the same thing. And it's scary. It's scary when you look at that. Uh, but it's like I was saying, I think I was sharing this last week, prophecy, the things in prophecy always cast a shadow and they cast a shadow backwards. So we can see, we can see already a lot of the things that are coming, the forerunners. And, and that's why I've said, I've been telling you all this, you know, I used to say that I believe that Lord could come back, that he may come back. He could possibly come back in our lifetime. I don't, I don't think may anymore. I think if I live to a ripe old age, whatever that might be, I think I will see the Lord's return. Now, I may die in three weeks. I may be eat up with cancer and find out that tomorrow night and, and, and be gone. Who knows? I, I, there, there are no guarantees, right? But if I live another, I don't know, 20, 30 years, I can't put a time on it. I'm not going to try to. That would be foolish. But when we see how quickly things can change and we see the forerunners now of what we're reading right now that's going to happen, that are going to be the things that happen as, as soon as the church is gone. When the church is raptured out, when believers are gone, and the changes and the things that are going to happen so quickly, uh, it's, I don't want to be here, amen? amen? I don't want to be here. I'm not going to be here. Unless I'm wrong about pre-trib rapture, then I may be here. But I don't think I'm wrong. I'm holding on to that. So we think about that. I, that's interesting. Thank you for sharing that. I didn't realize that it's already, we're already seeing the impact of that. So folks, famine and war go together. Okay, so we have peace, then we have war. And when you have war, you're going to have famine. They go, they go hand in hand with each other. So we're going to have famine. So the writer holds a pair of balances indicating that his government has established control of food. Again, when we talk about we talk about Babylon, the system of Babylon. We, we talked about before we got into the study of, of Revelation, some of the pre-study pre we were doing. We're talking about Babylon, this world system. This, this you know, we're going to see the Antichrist putting back together uh, the Roman Empire in Europe. Europe's already about together as it is. It's not going to take very much to put all that back together. Uh, then you start thinking about this. So, if you've got a system that's in control and that's the whole globalism that's going on now, you see the moving pieces that they're trying to get in place. It's all about what we're reading right now. It's all about what we're reading. So all of this stuff can fall in place. So now if you have, you, you have this government system that has established control of food, uh, you know, it's one thing to have control over people about I don't know, a disease or an epidemic or a vaccine or something like that. It's another thing when you control food, right? I mean, you, you, you want to, you you, we, we have to eat to survive. You want to provide for your family. So there's, when, you, when you can control the food, you can control the masses. So you get to this place where you got a measure of wheat, uh, was about a quart, and a denarius was a day's wage for a worker. So when you look at that, really, I've heard it said a lot of different ways, and there's different ways to take it. But basically, the idea is it'll t you'll have, somebody will have to work a full day just to eat that day. That's for them. It's not even, maybe wouldn't even maybe feed their family. So I go, I work a 10-hour, 12-hour day to earn these wages and it's enough just to buy food so I can survive. So now what are you going to do? Are you going to not eat? Are you going to, you're going to have to split it four ways? You're going to feed your kids, right? But, but if somebody's the, the breadwinner and they're going out and they're working and they got to eat or they're not going to have energy long. 
Uh, so there's just a lot of ways to think about it. So what we're looking at here is famine in verses 5 and 6. Then we get to verse 7. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So uh, now look at this one. It says, So I looked and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was, wait a minute, wait a minute. All right. Y'all know who, who, who the rider of the pale horse is, don't you? Y'all know who the pale rider is, don't you? I'm not being spiritual right now. Huh? Thank you, Thomas. Thomas and I are the most unspiritual people in the room. Clint Eastwood was pale rider. Y'all have never seen that movie? Every man in here has seen pale rider. That's a... The great Western. So Clint Eastwood, that was pale rider. But there's a line in there where he tells him, he says, death's coming. Death's coming and hell and hell follows behind. So um, that's where that comes from. It, I, I never realized where the, 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 that came from is, is that came from Revelation. Whoever wrote that, I was thinking about the pale rider here, the pale horse. So I looked and behold a pale horse and the name of him who sat on it was death and Hades followed at, uh, with him. The power and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death and with the beasts of the earth with the earth. So what is the result of war and famine? What's the logical result? Death. Death comes when you, you know, you have this peace, then the peace is broken and we're going to have war. And when time you have war, you're going to have famine. And when you have famine, you're going to have death. It's a progression that we're seeing here. So the word pale suggests a leprous color. You can look in Leviticus 13, verse 49, and the word there used for that is greenish. It's a greenish color. So pale horse, and his color seems to be greenish color, and it's the color of ill health that accompanies sickness and disease and infection. That's the idea here. Also, the Greek word for pale describes the ashen look of a dead body without blood. So it's pale. It's death. And we see that there's death here. Uh, and, and what was given to him was the, the, the power to kill. The power was given uh, to, to them over a fourth of the earth. So one fourth of the earth's people are going to die in this, in this time of this famine and and, and from this war and the famine and all that's going on now, think about a fourth of the people on earth. So I looked and, you know, you go on these trackers. It's amazing. Folks, if you haven't looked, it's amazing how much the population of earth is increasing. Uh, it, 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 it's unbelievable the rate at it's, it's increasing. The other day I looked last week, it was 1.99 billion right now. I, I mean, I'm sorry. It was 7.96 billion. So one quarter of that is 1.99 billion. 1.99. 1 billion 990 million people is, is uh, one quarter. So right at 2 billion people in the, by the numbers, the population of the earth right now are going to die with it when this seal is broken. And when you think about comparison of that, uh, you know, I read something. Somebody said like there'd been a hundred thousand or a hundred million people had died in all the wars of all time. That's not quite accurate because if I'm not mistaken, about a hundred million people died just in this century, just in the, not this century, but in the last century with World War One, World War Two. Uh, I don't know. There were 60 million people or whatever, I think, died in China. There was 20 million people in Russia uh, all through Europe. So when you compare that, 2 billion, 
to the total of somewhere maybe 150 million up to maybe as many as a billion who have died in all of Earth's history in battles. Now, in this time, now we're, again, we're talking about a, a short period of time because from the rapture to the second coming is how long? Seven years. So there's a lot that's going to happen. There's a lot of destruction. It almost seems impossible to think that two billion people could die that quick. But there's a lot of ways that could happen. But you start talking about war. Uh, you know, you think back to the Revolutionary War. They couldn't load their muskets fast enough. So they, they weren't, they weren't going to kill a lot of people. But you fast forward to August 6, 1945, and we dropped the bomb at Hiroshima. And we see, we see how quickly that has changed. And mass destruction and, and, the, and the ability to annihilate and to kill millions and millions and millions. And you're talking about two billion people. So you have this kind of war. You have famine. There's no food available. People are starving to death. They're dying in battle. They're dying of disease. They're dying of, of starvation. All of these things are going on. And two billion people are going to die. Uh, so death rides this horse and Hades rides with him. Death claims the body. Hades claims the soul. God gives them authority to kill one-fourth of the earth's population. Four methods are used. There's the sword, which you've already seen violence and war, hunger or famine. You've got death and, uh, or pestilence. So uh, death encompanies war and famine. You're going to have pestilence, disease that's going to come with that. And then the fourth is beasts. Nature takes over. Uh, when civilization falls apart. So when you read that, you know, what, do you, what do you think about the beast of the earth? So we understand they're killing. The beast of the earth are killing. So, I mean, my first thought was, I'm thinking about um, uh, Planet of the Apes. Not that they're going to start talking, but, but if you've seen the newer, well, they did start talking in both of them. But if you saw the newer Planet of the Apes, you know, they had these monkeys, they were teaching them. To be, and when they got out, they, they, I mean, it was, it was, they took over. They were stronger and they just, it became, a, you know, a monkey apocalypse. So maybe you've got that where the animals really are, are running just rampant. And, and now you've got, think about it, you've got death everywhere. What, what's going to happen I just started reading a book by Bill O'Reilly about killing, um, killing Crazy Horse. It's, a, it's about America and, the, and, and the, everything that we, America did with the Indians and, and the stuff in there. Is, it's unbelievable. I, I thought I knew a lot of the history. I'm finding out a lot I didn't know and understand. But the brutality. But they would talk about after, you know, after maybe a fort had been massacred, they would get in there a week or two later and the animals are in there, you know, eating the people. So when there's death like that, the animals are going to do that. The other idea, another commentary I was reading, he says that, that, that there in verse 8 speaks of, of kind of the things that were going on in the Roman Empire where they were, they were putting humans in the arena to fight against lions and other beasts. You could have that. I don't know. I can't say he's right or wrong. But the fact is we know from Scripture that, that the beast of the earth will also be killing people. That's going to be a part of what's going on. If you read Ezekiel 14, 21, we find a parallel to this passage right here. And it says, For thus says the Lord God, how much more it shall be when I send my four uh, severe judgments on Jerusalem, the sword and famine and wild beast and pestilence, to cut off man and beast from it. So we see the parallel there. So what terrible judgment await the Christ-rejecting world after the church is taken to heaven? 
This is, this is not a place that you want to be. Uh, now, I'll, I'll say this, and we're going to get to this next week, but because uh, I want you to be clear in, in something I've said before. Uh, I don't know if I, I absolutely believe this. I think it could be because in, in Thessalonians, it speaks about de, uh, a delusion that's given to some and they cannot believe, indicating after the rapture. Uh, the idea is for folks, the idea is some believe this, that if, if someone in this life heard the gospel, the Holy Spirit of God convicted their heart and they rejected the gospel prior to the rapture, that after the rapture, they could not be saved. Now, hear what I'm saying. If someone rejected the gospel now and the rapture comes, they've willfully rejected. The teaching is that there is a delusion that will be given because they rejected, they had the opportunity, they refused it, and, and they cannot be saved after the rapture. I'm not going to die on that sword. There's great, uh, I can make an argument either way for that, but here's what I'm not saying. So don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying people won't be saved because we're going to study this very clearly. There is a multitude of people that are saved do you think about how many people right now have never heard the gospel? Folks, we have people in America right now that have never heard the gospel. I, I, I think 30, 40, probably 40, 50 years ago, that might not have been the case. Or it would have been very, very rare. It's not very rare anymore. We have generations of kids that, when I was coming up, people wanted their kids to go to church. And, and it, the parent, there was a time where parents wanted to be in church with their kids. And then it got to where it was a time where parents didn't care whether they, they didn't want to go, but they wanted their kids to go. They would put them on a bus. They would send them down the road. They would put them in a car with a friend. Somebody invite them to go to church. Sure, I want you in church. That's good. I, Mom, won't you go? No, I don't want you. But they would send their kids. And then we've gotten to a place where they, they didn't really care whether their kids went to church or not. And now I think we've gotten to a place where they don't want their kids to go to church. So what happens when you're living in sin, you're living like hell, and your kid goes to church and hears that, you know, Bible says that if, if, we, if we don't get saved, we, we'll go to hell. Well, I ain't sending you there anymore because the Word of God, even in a little kid, is going to bring conviction, right? But we're at a place where now we've had years and years and years of this that people haven't sent their kids to church. They haven't gone. They don't want to go. They don't send their kids. And a generation grows up and they do the same with their kids. You've got two generations of grown up. Now you have another. You've got three generations grown up that way. And we have a multitude of people in this country who've never heard the gospel. Folks, that's, that's what we need to be about is getting out and sharing the gospel. Amen. Number, uh, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each one and it was said to them that they should, should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. Now, so who are these people? So if they're, if they're martyrs, let's go back to this. So 
Some would argue that these are, this is the church that's been martyred. That's not what this is. Say so the church, the church is raptured out. We have a seven year period that's going to be in this tribulation, the great tribulation period. And then the, the second coming is at the end of that seven years. But here at the beginning, the church is gone. We're gone. So if, if we're in this room, if we're a believer, we're a follower of Jesus Christ, I've been born again. When he comes in the rapture, boom, we're gone. We're out of here. There are no Christians on earth at the start of that seven years. But what we see is a multitude of people who are martyred, which means there's a multitude of people that are being saved in, in, this, in this tribulation period, okay? And they're being saved, and then this, all of this is going... Remember, remember now, two billion people have died from war. That's, I don't think these people are included in that. They're not a martyr because, because they, they died of famine or a war. They died because they stood for their faith. That's what they stood for. So we'll look at this. So these are folks who have been martyred. They've been killed for their loyalty to Jesus Christ. And many suggest that they are the great cloud of martyrs who have sacrificed their lives for all times. I don't know. that It doesn't sound like that's the case because it sounds like these are the ones who gave their life in this tribulation period. So I, I think, I mean, I think, I think, could it be that martyrs from the past are there under the altar as well because they were martyred? And for their faith, I don't know, maybe, maybe so. There are many that think that. I don't, tend to, I don't tend to lean that way. I tend to believe that these are the martyrs. These are the ones who have died in this tribulation period. They have died in this time. Again, think of how, it's hard for us to get our minds around how quickly things can change. Boom, just like that. Uh, the altar is a place of sacrifice and death, and these saints are right where the blood was poured and sprinkled. They cry out with a loud voice, basically, how long until you get vengeance on these murderers? And notice that these martyrs are not reprimanded for being angry. And you think about the martyrs, and we think about martyrs from history, but we think about the martyrs then. Uh, we have to remember that these men and women, what they went through. They, they, we got to remember the agony of the flames, the bloodshed in the arenas, the wild beasts, the beheadings, the being skinned alive, the sadistic torture that they've suffered. The, the, it, 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 never, it never ceases to amaze me the cruelty of man. I, I, you know, I think I've, I've heard it all, and I'm reading, again, reading history that went on in our country, and I hear the way that humans treat other humans, things that are done. We think back to the, all the atrocities around World War II, but you don't have to look. You know, you, we, we've got serial killers in our country who have done things. But it's, it's just unbelievable. Now, you think about these people who have stood for their faith, and they were tortured and murdered. And now they're calling out and they're angry. And uh, then they're given uh, this long flowing robes and told to rest a little while longer. They are rewarded and honored for dying the ultimate death. But the Lord says, wait until the full number of martyrs is completed. They're not, they're not all they're not all there yet. We see right here, we've got a glimpse at this and all these martyrs are there, but they're, they're, it's not done yet. And that seems like, you know, just, just to think about that, that seems like, wow, the Lord could have prevented that. But, you know, it's it, the Lord, if it brings glory to God, then it's right. I, I don't want to die as a martyr, but I'll tell you what I, I... All right, let me say it this way. 
When I come to a funeral of a, of a veteran, someone who served our country, and there's a, there, there's a, a, a flag-draped casket, man, I go, I, yeah, I just wells up. I, I, you know, I, would, I would love that, but I can't have that. I didn't, I didn't serve. I didn't serve in the military. I didn't serve. I can't have that. I didn't want to go serve. I didn't want to go have somebody tell me when to eat and when to sleep and when to shave. I didn't want that. So I didn't go serve. But I, I look at that and I go, boy, I'd like, I'd like to have that. It's kind of this. I, I don't want to die a martyr's death, but I'll guarantee you I would love to be there. I'd love to be honored because the Lord honors these people in a very, very special way for their, their, the, the paying the ultimate price. And it brings glory to God. Amen? See, because Satan, he's going to think he's won. He thinks he's won. They kill these believers. Hmm, I've won. I've got it. No, no, no. No, no. No, no. You didn't win. You didn't win. You lost again. So he gives them these robes, and uh, they're having to wait. And yet there's going to be more that are going to be martyred. And folks, even today, there are multitudes of people being martyred all around the world. We're not seeing that in America yet. Uh, the persecution is brewing. Persecution for, for Christians is, is in this country is, is brewing. And, I, and it, again, that could change very quickly. Even in the pandemic, we see, saw some things. Think about how people were acting about a vaccine. Or about wearing a mask. And there were people ready to put you in prison if, if you wouldn't wear a mask. They were ready to put you in prison, in a camp, if you chose not to get a vaccine. Now, hear me. I'm not saying you should have or you shouldn't have. That, that's everybody. That's your decision to make. But there were people who were absolutely losing their minds. And if you didn't... If you didn't get that vaccine, they, they, they should be able to lock you up, put you in prison because of that. Doesn't seem to me like it'd be real hard when there's total power to exercise whatever judgment they wanted on people. And that's where it'll go. But we're seeing a lot of that. And I've, I've told people persecution's coming. Real persecution's coming to us. We're going to face it at some point. And it may be the best thing that the church in America has faced in hundreds of years is when true persecution comes because we'll stop playing church games. We'll stop checking a box on Sunday morning when, when it's, if, if you go to church, you may actually go to prison or you may actually get shot because you chose to go worship your Savior. It'll, it'll separate whether we're real or not. Amen? Uh, these martyr saints, they pray for vengeance. And, and it, it was true that believers in this age are told to pray for those who persecute them. That is true. We are to pray for those who persecute us. We're to love those who hate us. We're to, we're to do for those who you know, do against us. We're to, we're, to, we're to love them in a different way. And, you know, Christ prayed for those who persecuted him. Jesus, uh, Stephen prayed for those. Paul prayed for those. They all did that. They prayed for those. 
But this period will be a time of judgment when God will be answering the prayers of his people for deliverance and vengeance. And after all, think about this. When they're praying, their prayers right there, their prayers are for 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 vengeance, for God to execute judgment and justice there. And, And while they're doing that, God is literally judging the world when they're praying. So they are praying in the will of God because he is doing. And so, you know, the prayers that we pray, we should be praying now. We'd be praying now because those prayers are not, they don't go off and float off and disappear. Those prayers are going to be kept and they're going to be brought back out. And we're going to see those prayers and the Lord's, those prayers are going to come out. And we're going to see that more as we go. God promises them that he will answer their prayers, but first more of the brethren will be slain. Uh, We see other uh, saints that are slain in chapter 12, verse 11, 14, verse 13, and chapter 20, verses 4 and 5. And among the... What's that? Chapter 7, verse 14. Yeah, we're going to... The, the, chapter 7, when we get into that next week, it's, a, it's an interesting pa- passage because we're going to get to... Uh, we, we may... Yeah, we may get there. But w- w- the last seal, before that last seal is broken, it, we see that in chapter 8. Chapter 7 is kind of parenthetical. It's kind of a parenthesis. We're going to take a breath. We're going to look at. We're actually going to get to see something in the future. And we're going to see exactly what you're talking about in verse 14 there. It's going to tell us who these, who these are. Uh, again, these that are killed. Um, so Revelation 20 verse 4. Oh, what I was saying is among the slain will be the two witnesses. Um, you know, I believe they're Moses and Elijah. Uh, you may have another belief on that. But they're, they're witnessing the whole time they've been preaching and they're ministering on earth. They're alive on earth and they're, and they're ministering, but they'll be included in this. They're going to be killed and then raised up. Uh, Revelation 20 verse 4 indicates that these, these tribulation martyrs will be resurrected to reign during the millennium. Uh, verse 4 says, chapter 20 verse 4, And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgments were committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So we we see that these martyrs are going to have a special place as well. Verse 12 then. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the the sun became black as sackcloth, sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven began, uh, heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casting her untimely figs when she is shaken by a mighty wind. Verse 14, And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island w- were moved out of their places. Now, I'm going to tell you, because I, as I, I study, I read a lot of different guys, and I don't even remember who I got this from now, who, who I read this, uh, who said this, but... You can look at that and see a lot of things. There's a lot of things. So as you just talk about that, a great earthquake. Well, when there's a great earthquake, it says there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became as blood. All right. So sometimes when there's earthquakes, earthquakes will spur volcanoes and volcanoes sometimes will spur earthquakes. So you think about the Pacific and that ring of fire you have enough tectonic movement. You could have earthquakes just, I mean, all over Earth. You could have volcanoes blowing up 
just left. Now, Mount St. Helens, there were, there were cities hundreds of miles away that were just covered in ash. It was like, I mean, it was like a snowstorm whiteout. They couldn't, they couldn't see the sun. So you can imagine this, some of that may be going on right here, where there's these, this earthquake, maybe there's volcanoes, and they've triggered each other, and this is spewing stuff up in the air. There was a time where, years ago, there was a, uh, there was a volcano maybe in, maybe in Japan or somewhere that was, it was spewing a lot up into the air, and we, our sunrises here were just incredibly vivid red in the color. And this went on for several weeks, but it was because of the dirt in there. We, we even could see some of that here when we get the dust that comes in from Africa that'll blow over, right? And we get the dust in the air and we get a different look at the sunrise and sunset. It looks, so you think about the dirt in the air and that, that could be triggered from that. Um, but what this, this writer said, uh, he believed that this was John's description of a nuclear holocaust, Okay. And you, and you look at it. So you've, you've got the earthquake. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's, that has to do with the nuclear bombs going off. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe that's what they, someone would think is it's, it feels like an earthquake or sounds like an earthquake. Um, but then you get verse 13, and the stars of heaven fell into the earth. And so the, this, well, let me go with this. So the earth rolls up like a scroll. Think about this. Um, you, ever, you ever watch video of, a nuclear explosion. And, and when it goes, you know, what it blows up, right? And all this comes out. And then what happens? It comes back in. And when it comes back in, it, it and then you have the skies does this. As it's coming up, it's rolling. And you look at this. The heaven departed as a scroll. It's like the sky is rolling up. And he says, you know, this writer believes that that what we very well could be seeing here is John's viewing of nuclear bombs that are going off and that explosion as the sky is rolling. I mean, the sky is rolling. You've never seen that before. What would that look like? Wow, it looks like a scroll rolling up. And uh, every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Uh, If you have a nuclear, a true nuclear war, it's it's gonna it's gonna the whole earth's gonna be shaken. It's gonna be some crazy things. Um, he writes, "The stars of heaven fell into the earth." The Greek word "stars" here describes uh, a meteor. Meteors strike the atmosphere and glow fiery red. And when they hit the earth, they pulverize dirt and other materials that remain in the atmosphere, shutting out the sun for for two or more years. I mean, you could have that where it puts dirt in the air and it's it's up there. So it could be meteorites that are hitting. Um, also, a nuclear winter could result. If this is nuclear weapons, you have a nuclear uh, winter. You got no sunshine equals if the sun's not shining, whether it's volcanoes spewing all this ash in the air and the sun is dark and the moon is, then what do you think is happening to plant life? It's not growing. So now we're talking famine even worse and that, that's more of what's going on. So his description may also apply to today's, I'd never, I had to look this up, but he described these fractional orbital bombs. And he said that there's, there's actually satellites that have bombs. And so the, the satellites are up there. So instead of somebody launching, say, from Moscow over here and it's got to go up and travel around, they've got satellites that are floating around up there and they can drop these nukes in 
and, and multiple warheads. So imagine now you've got a nuke that comes down. It's got 20 warheads that divides off and, they're, and you're watching that and you see 20 warheads come. It would look like, it might look like streaking asteroids or streaking meteorites coming in. And then they hit and they explode and you got the sky. So pretty scary. That's a pretty scary verse. Those 12 through 14 are very, very, that's a very scary passage that you, that you look at there. Um, but look at the human reaction. Now, I would challenge you to maybe go home tonight or sometime tomorrow in the next few days and read through that chapter again. Read through it. Read through it slow. And, and think through the scenarios. And because you, you want to feel, you want to feel the weight of that. Let's just not just blow through that and go, oh, okay, well, that's, well, that's going to be terrible. Really spend some time meditating on it, thinking about that. Folks, we've said, why do, we, why do we study Revelation? It ought to motivate us to share the gospel. That ought to be bottom line for us. It ought to encourage us as a believer. I'm not going to have to go through that because the Lord has saved my soul. We need to be sharing the gospel with this lost, lost world around us. We need to be telling people about Jesus' love because I don't want, any, I don't want anybody to go through that. I don't want anybody to go through that. And, and I don't want to go, well, you know, they can get saved in the, in the tribulation. I don't want to rest on that. I want them to get saved now. Amen? Amen. So it ought to motivate us that way. But let's look at the human reaction, verse 15 through 17, and then we'll be done. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. Now, everybody now has been impacted. Think back before we're talking about the food. We're talking about the wine and the oil. I think I blew by the wine and the oil. The wine and the oil was don't touch that because who, who would that was about the wealthy. And when you look at this scenario, the wealthy in this time, the wealthy are still getting wealthier. The poor are still getting poorer. It's still exploiting people. It's taking advantage of people. And imagine this. You've got a lost world. The, the church is gone. And you got all this. They're still looking for ways to exploit and to get more. And the guys that have $500 billion still want more. And they're going to exploit more. And they're going to get more. So don't, that, that's what was going on there. But now, what's going on on the earth, everybody's being impacted. Everybody, when we come here to 15. And they hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. Uh, the author's talking about the, the nuclear holocaust. He said they may be hiding in caves and mountains trying to get away from nuclear fallout. Could be part of what, what that is about. Uh, verse 16, And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. They know where judgment's coming from. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Uh, every layer of society is affected at this point. And what you see right here is it's the greatest prayer meeting that the world has ever seen. Y'all remember 9-11? Y'all remember after 9-11? You know, for we were in a pretty big church at the time, so it was probably twelve hundred people at our church. We probably went to two thousand the next Sunday. We probably dropped back down to sixteen, seventeen hundred the next Sunday. We were back down to about fourteen hundred the next Sunday. Within four or five weeks, we were back to normal. When everybody realized, oh, it's not the end of the world. I can quit trying to get my life, my 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 my, you know, fire insurance real quick. And then they quit coming to church. 
So a lot of people prayed. We saw politicians that that got out on the steps and prayed and act all spiritual. They were scared. And so they were praying. These people are scared and they're praying. And you would think, man, they're turning to the Lord and they're praying. The problem is they're not praying to the Lord. They're praying to the rocks. They're asking the mountains. They're asking the rocks. They're asking them to fall on them and to kill them. It's a shame. It's amazing that uh, all that's going on, and they even acknowledge who the judgment is coming from. They realize that they have to realize they could call on him, and they still reject him. Their hearts just get harder. All right, we're going to wrap up. We're going to stop right there. Next week, we'll jump into chapter 7. Chapter 8, uh, the, the seventh seal is not open till the first verse in chapter 8. So we're going to... We, we, we stop there and we're going to look at this. It's like we take a, we're going to take a, we're taking a commercial break and we're going to go look at some other things and then we'll pick back up in chapter eight with that seventh seal, uh, which, so interesting, interesting. Any questions?